listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stewart. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Ella Ritchie and Henry Ward. Ella is director and co-founder of InterArt, an art and design studio in South London who produce really interesting homewares and exhibitions, all made in collaboration with people with learning disabilities. Alongside InterArt, her experience in art and education spans long-term inclusive art projects working with children and young people on the autistic spectrum, facilitating youth and community forums, and as an artist, working within residential and informal education settings. Henry is an artist, writer, and educationalist. He's creative director of the Freelands Foundation, whose mission is to support artists and cultural institutions to broaden audiences for the visual arts. Previously, he was head of education at the Southbank Centre, and spent more than 15 years as a teacher of art in London schools. He founded the Alternative Prize, a play on the prestigious Turner Prize, and a periodical called A, focusing on issues in art and education. He's been a consultant for BBC and is a trustee of Access Art. On the agenda, diversity in the art and design world, what it might take for museums and galleries to be more inclusive, and the perennial question, what is art and who decides? So I thought I'd introduce the idea of meeting with Henry because I met with Henry maybe a couple of years ago, maybe about three years ago. It might have been a bit longer than that. Is it? <laughs> and I thought it was a nice way to start just to kind of talk about how we actually met, which was through an encounter with one of the artists from Interart, which was Nicenze Enemakwe. Do you want to say a little bit? Yeah, so at the time I was head of education at Southbank Centre and she had an exhibition on at the Poetry Library. And I think I came across the work before I met either you mm. or, or the artist without any idea what the exhibition was about, which mm-hmm. is often the best way of discovering yeah. anything yeah. like that. So it was literally being in the Poetry Library for a meeting with the Poetry Librarian, seeing the work, being interested in it, having a kind of conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And then I think, did we meet? We might have met at the opening maybe, I'm not yeah. sure. And then and then I came down to visit the studios afterwards yeah. um, and sort of talk to you about what you were doing. So, But I think that was actually about five years ago because I left the South Bank ah. three years ago. So it must have been, must have been quite a while ago now. Yeah, I mean, it always struck me because I think what we're always conscious of is about people encountering the work as the work rather than the interpretation panel that kind of positions the work in relation to the artists and their biography, which in the case of Into Art is often in relation to the learned disability or uh, physical impairment. So for people to encounter the work and be struck by that and then actually then meet the artist and have that dialogue is always quite poignant for us and it kind of excites us that people actually pick up on that because the the interpretation panel for that never mentioned the, the biography of the artist and because she performs her own work as well then she again then speaks for herself through her poetry so and I think with that exhibition it was quite pivotal for into art because um, it was the first time that an artist had applied individually for a grant from Arts Council and 
Again, it was on the premise that she applied. At the time, um, Chris McKay, the poetry librarian, he was opening up an exhibition space at the, the front of the library and um, anybody could apply. And that's, again, sort of, it's the ethos of into art. It's not saying we're knocking on the door for equal opportunities for people with disabilities. It's we're knocking on the door because as an artist and we think actually her work is actually very relevant to that site. So, yeah, and I wonder whether maybe um, in terms of art education what the sort of openings you think are for sort of more diverse opportunities for, for young people at the moment? I think, I think the biggest challenge actually is they're closing down in so many ways, not just, I mean, it's not a diverse audience for education, mm. it's getting narrower and narrower and narrower, mm. and I think we are, there's several things actually I'd like to pick up on what you're saying there. I mean, one thing is that, and it's this idea that, that we are closing down avenues, so mm. the, the less experience people have of the arts in general, not just visual arts, mm. the less opportunity, the less the less... I suppose the less space they have for understanding that this is something they might be able to do. Mm. And education is the great kind of, potentially the great levelling field. You know, if, if everybody is exposed to arts along with other fields in education, then everybody has the opportunity to decide whether it's for them. Mm. But as we sort of close these opportunities down, it becomes just a privilege to actually uh, experience this. And this is regardless of whether we're talking about mm. people with learning difficulties or physical disabilities mm. or any other kind mm. of sector of society. Mm. So I think we're we're in a really dangerous position at the moment in terms of that diversity. And it's interesting, I was having a conversation with one of the big art schools last week who was talking about a worrying thing and the horrible language actually sort of it was initially on the phone and I kind of thought maybe they thought I was a plumber because they were talking about having a pipeline issue. But the the pipeline issue they were referring to was the fact that they're just not getting quality students coming mm. through the British mm. education system anymore. And of course, we're now seven years mm. on from the introduction of the EBAC and the kind of closing down of opportunities. So I think I think there's lots of problems in our education system at the moment that are actually closing these opportunities down. And I think what you talk about, Ella, with the, the sort of the, the opportunity to bring to art, I really welcome this idea that you're not focusing on a particular disability or a particular mm sort of category is just about the artists and mm. I wanted to say something about this idea of the interpretation panel mm. because I think we've become alongside this we've become very obsessed with interpretation actually mm. Um, mm. the Venice Biennale this year was heavily criticised for its mm. insane kind of panels that told you exactly what you were going to think mm. about an artwork mm. and surely the sort of point of artwork is that it speaks for itself mm. otherwise if you can write about it and mm. explain it in writing mm. why make it and I think in a way the less information you have the more open you are then to interpreting something mm. and, and thinking about it and allowing it to breathe. And, you know, I can't remember who said this idea, you make an artwork, you put it in the world, and then actually it's up for other people to interpret it. Mm. But that's so true. And mm. I think that was what was particularly powerful about that exhibition was it was just seeing it as an exhibition, not mm. the work of a particular person. And then great meeting the artist afterwards and finding yeah. out about the organisation, which of course is fantastic. But as an experience of the artwork, it was separate to that, which I think is really important. Mm. But there are still those, I mean, inherent barriers really within the art world these kind of structures that there is a trajectory of an artist that you go to an art school and it starts building your cv to the sort of the the group show the solo shows and you know and then you build up to the position of you know a prize an art prize whatever there's there's a quite classic trajectory and if education has those barriers such as you know and if if you have learned disability inherently you can't actually go to art school it that barrier is just kind of closed down before even any of these other things that have come in over the last sort of you know 10 to 5 years so how do you then just disregard that and how does an artist get to that point 
That's some really difficult questions now. I mean, I think I think there are several things. There's no doubt the education system has to be addressed, what we're mm. doing in terms of the lack of exposure to arts for all sort of young people. But I think maybe there's a shift in the perception of how people are thinking about success in terms mm. of an artist and the trajectory mm. of an artist. Mm. I think the, the kind of um, the sudden interest in older artists and emerging later. Yeah. I mean, you look at people like Philida Barlow and yeah. Rose Wiley or Carmen Herrera. I don't know if you've seen mm. that incredible documentary on Carmen Herrera's was 102 now or something. Yeah, and was her first solo show at 91 or something, you know, kind of ignored her yeah. entire life but made work. And I think I think there's a there's a a sort of new interest in yeah. actually people who've somehow somehow continued to make despite yeah. all these all yeah. these barriers and then people kind of recognising that later on and it feels like we're beyond this you've got to make it straight after art school yeah, sort yeah. of mentality we were maybe 15, 20 years ago and I think also things like fees and the kind of pressure on, on higher education is meaning there's this explosion of alternative routes so people mm. are actually looking at mm. you don't have to go to art school and mm. then do an MA and mm. that traditional route so I think those things are breaking down but my concern is that while those things are breaking down the pipeline to quote uh, the mm. art school is also breaking up that mm. People already have decided it's not for them because they don't understand it at a very early age. So mm. I think we've got to sort of holistically, we've got to address that. And actually, mm. we've got to address that from primary age, really, a real exposure to arts very, very early on. But I think it's also very important that organisations like yours exist that do support and promote artists who otherwise may be mm. overlooked. Mm. But I think what's interesting about it is if we move away from this kind of interpretive panel attitude to just the objects and just mm. the work that's produced, actually then it can be as diverse as possible because yeah. nobody's questioning who we're yeah. making. They're just looking at the objects. So we need to sort of, there's several things there, I suppose, that we could probably mm. tease out a bit more. But, you know, why is it that that we are interested in the biography of the artist and who does it? And, mm. of course, we are. I mean, everybody likes the story of the artist. Mm. So, But then the stories of your artists are often so interesting mm. that, that actually mm. that's a, a plus point in mm. lots of ways. Mm. Um, but I do, I, th I feel very strongly that, that, we've got to do something quite quickly about mm. what's happening mm. further down mm. the education system and whether whether young people are being given those opportunities regardless of their mm. background. We kind of sort of crossed paths a bit with the Tate archives and it kind of came into contact with the, the projects that you'd done in the school with the studio and that kind of struck me about this kind of, it was about sort of setting up the studio within the school and that's, you know... Yeah, so this this was the Animating the Archives yeah. uh, project. So we did a, this when I was teaching, we did a project as part of that Tate project that was about, I mean, it's an incredibly unusual project, I think. It was very generous mm. for a cultural institution. Yeah. The size of the Tate, which is a problematic thing, mm. that then had no real outcome or no real intention. Mm. It was just to explore an idea. And, mm. and we worked with an artist over a period of about a year, maybe a bit longer than mm. a year, looking at asking questions around why something might be in an archive, why something might be in the museum. We were focused particularly on Vito Acconci's work and, and the kind of anomaly that there'll be letters in the archive and then there'll be framed letters in the museum and one is an artwork and mm. one is an archival mm. piece and why. And so who makes those decisions, which I think is really interesting mm. and the, the students felt were very interesting. We started reenacting Acconci performances. We're quite careful about which ones we reenacted for obvious reasons in the gallery and then developing our own ideas around that. And we ended up uh, doing a performance at Tate Modern. And what was really interesting about that was they, the schools and teachers team, who were fantastic, allowed us to do this and then started to get cold feet and said, well, we have to put a sign up that explains this is a schools and teachers event. because." And we were saying, why? Mm. And they said, because mm. members of the public might think mm. it's, it's, a, it's a piece of art. And we said, but it is a piece of art. Mm. And they said, no, we know that, but we have an, there's no authorisation yeah. from the curatorial team. 
So we agreed we'd put the sign up and then myself and the artist took the sign down just before the performance. So we did this performance, which went on for two hours, an unscripted kind of a birthday party around a table in the level three of Tate Modern, middle of all the surrealist galleries. And we had about 300 people come and watch this. And in the middle of it, the curators, some of the curation team turned up and the, the schools and teachers team, just all the colour just ran from the faces <laughs> that this is, you know, end of careers. And, uh, and afterwards we sort of apologised and they said, oh, you know, we're just, we're just going to get in so much trouble. And in fact, what happened was we then got an email from one of the curators saying we're really interested in what you were doing. Could we invite you back to reprise the performance as part of the tanks when they were opening the tanks mm-hmm. that year? Mm-hmm. Now, what was really interesting was when we went back to do the tanks and we couldn't do the performance exactly the same because it wasn't somebody's birthday and that, that was an important element mm-hmm. of the, the original performance. We had a green room. We were mic'd up properly. They filmed it properly. They even gave us identical shirts to wear. And the students were like, what's, what's going on? We said, well, now the Tate have recognised this as an yeah, artwork. Yeah, they're investing yeah. in it. And retrospectively, they're acknowledging the first one was. And it was. Mm-hmm. It, there's no way we could have anticipated that was what the project mm-hmm. would do. But that mm-hmm. is what the project did. And mm-hmm. I think talking to people at the Tate now, it has broken down some barriers between the education team and the creation team mm-hmm. to realise they've got to actually talk to one another. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting going back to the, the original sort of impetus for the project being letters in the archive, framed letters on the wall, who mm. makes the decision about yeah. what's an artwork. And I think when I was teaching, that was something I was very interested in, you know, this idea that people make things. And, you know, it, it touches completely on the area you're working with. People make things. And the things people make are interesting. And they're interesting for other people to look at. And actually, in a way, you know, it goes back to that thing I said earlier, once you put an object in the world, it has its own life. Mm. And who interprets and who decides that one's important, that one's not important. It's such an interesting yeah, question. Yeah. And it's so loaded. And the kind of the power that cultural institutions have and the power that certain sectors have to say, well, that's, you know, that's relevant. I think even, you know, you look at something like the Turner Prize this year with the raising of the mm, age limits yeah. and uh, Hamid winning it. And suddenly everybody's going, on, oh, of course, of course yeah. you should have won it. And you think, well, yeah. she's been working for 40 years. Where have these voices been for 40 mm. years? And suddenly everybody talks about yeah. So it's this kind of fashion thing all the time as well. Yeah. As soon as somebody somewhere has decided something's relevant, everybody jumps on the bandwagon mm. and says, oh, mm. we agree. And we've been saying that for years. So I think it's a very interesting thing to kind mm. of explore mm. who makes those decisions about mm. why something's culturally relevant or why something isn't culturally relevant. You're listening to Thought Starters with Ella Ritchie of Into Art and Henry Ward of the Freelance Foundation. There is a definite default for the people that we work with to be the participant and never be seen as the artist. And it's a really hard one. And it's I kind of feel that this it's kind of getting worse instead of better that's worrying <laughs> you know because because museums are getting bigger so that it's you know you've got to go through <laughs> so many different people to get that voice whereas like when we first started 15 years ago you were working with you know very small teams and it was about an individual who went yeah we can make that happen mm. and we'll do that whereas now it might be that team might be much bigger and then there there is this thing between the curatorial and the education departments that are kind of you know it's interesting to see that now education departments are calling their members of staff curators and it's oh everybody's just, you know, a curator every, you know, now you curate your like, Pinterest you know, strip I mean it's, it's just like, ridiculous you know it's sort of gone a little bit um, but I sort of feel like yeah I think the big institutions it's becoming more difficult to programme work because of the resources that it takes do you think as well though because I, I I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently that the the sort of requirement for cultural institutions to demonstrate 
educational work and engagement work in order to secure funding, particularly public funding. Mm. On the one hand, you could argue that's a good thing. And so educational activity is much more visible yeah. in museums yeah. and galleries than it was, say, 20 years ago. But on the other hand, there's a danger that it's turning educational work and engagement, you know, sort of work with members of the public into a like a kind of learning zoo. It's it's like this box we're sat in, you know, so people yeah. can look at us doing this. It's it's you know a glass box in a in a cultural institution where learning's happening inside, yeah. and people can peer through the glass box and look at it. Isn't necessarily the best way of doing. Mm. In fact, it's definitely mm. not the best way yeah. of doing educational yeah. activity. And I think what's very interesting about your project is just how sustained it is. You know, you talk about mm. the fact that these artists could work with you forever. It's such a powerful thing because that's mm. real. You know, actually mm. sustained mm. engagement mm. With, with individuals. But the pressure on cultural institutions to to produce kind of quantitative evidence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we work with 500 people. We work with 1,000 people. If you say we work with four people and we've yeah. been working with them for 15 yeah, yeah. years, you're not, you're not going to get your funding. So, it's, so there's a kind of a, on the one hand, you've got to show engagement, but actually numbers coming through the door isn't really engagement. So there's this whole sort of, I think there's lots of issues around yeah. that that are, tremendously problematic and I think I wanted to pick up on something else you said about um, this idea of people always being the part- seen as the participants going back to that project we did with the students yeah. in the Tate when we did a, a symposium about that we had a, a panel with myself and a couple of other teachers and the artists and several of the students all together and somebody in the audience said oh I'd like to ask the artist this question and so the mic was handed to the, the nominated artist and he handed it to me and I handed it to the person this and it went down the line until it reached one of the students and everybody started to laugh. And this person said, no, no. We said, no, no, but we're all the artists. So what did you mean by that question? Yeah. It was this whole thing of, oh, we're going to say you know, this person. But the, the project had been completely democratic mm. from the beginning. And mm. the artist we worked with at the Tech Givers didn't see himself as the artist. He saw mm. himself as one artist within a collective, which mm. I think goes back to yeah. you talking about the kind of democratization of your own organization. Is much more powerful, but mm. it's difficult for cultural institutions yeah. to do that because they've got to justify where the funding's going and why somebody gets a fee and somebody else comes in and makes their pipe cleaner Bridget Riley's or whatever they're doing yeah. on a Sunday afternoon. So. Well, this is it. I mean, it's kind of like, it's also about the production levels as well, isn't it? It's like education departments can be about the experience and that kind of one-off moment, whereas for into art, it's about production, it's about making stuff and remaking it and reinterrogating it. And that's just not desirable you know, because it's kind of quite often the person commissioning the work within the education department doesn't actually look at what is actually made. No, but I think I mean, this is the thing. One of the things when I came to visit the your original studio yeah. that struck me was that archive with, you know, hundreds of works mm. Mm. properly looked after, mm. properly stored, properly cared for. And it's that thing again, as you say, Ella, so often anybody participating in any kind of programme, actually what they're making isn't. It's just not seen to be important. I mean, on the most basic level, in a school, you think of all these hundreds of well, thousands of children doing mm. art in schools. Mm. What happens to the art that they make? If they're very, very lucky, they get to take it home. And if they're really lucky, somebody at home can be bothered to put it on the fridge. Mm. But actually, most of the time, it goes in a drawer. It ends up in the drawer till the drawer is so stuffed that it goes down the back of the drawer, makes that lovely concertina effect. And then in July, it's all taken out. It's put in recycling bins. That's the journey of artwork mm. in schools. Mm. Nobody's talking about audience or why you make something yeah. or what you're making with it. And that's such a massive part of mm. making art. Mm. And we're just ignoring it. So mm. I think there's a, you know, one of the most powerful things you're doing with the work that you're, you're mm. doing with these artists is valuing what gets made. Mm. And mm. as you said earlier, putting it into a critical space where it's discussed and it's important. And that's, you know, if we're going to change anything, that's probably the thing that needs to change, mm. that people need to take seriously 
what everybody makes. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we just say everything, as you said, it doesn't mean we just say everything, hey, that's great, well mm. done. It's important to say that's not good enough. Mm. You need mm. to push that, you know, mm. have those critical conversations. But I think we need to have those critical conversations with people from the age of five, yeah. All, yeah. all the way through, of, of yeah. understanding what they're making, yeah. regardless of background, regardless of ability, disability, anything. It's, yeah. all, it's just all one big conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting. You want to be invited in as a collective and seen as an entity or you want your artists to be included in things? Because I think it's, yeah. it's it almost feels like there's a possible contradiction in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah. But on the one hand, you really want this to be a part of what's going on. And on the other hand, there's a sense of saying, recognise us as an entity. And then and then that becomes, these are into art, artists, rather than just yeah, saying yeah. these are artists. Yeah. And surely what was so fantastic about that exhibition at yeah. the Poetry Library was it was an artist. She had an exhibition. It was a really interesting exhibition. Oh, she happens to be part yeah, of this collective as well, yeah. and that. So it's a kind of. I mean, I can see it's a. That's a potential dilemma. Yeah. Do you know if somebody came along and said, "We think Into Art's amazing. Do you want to have a fantastic exhibition?" On the one hand, that's probably a great idea, but on the other hand, isn't that then labelling everybody as Into Art artists and saying that's how they should? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think we have definitely sort of with Nachenze and Mawena Katar, who sort of again was the second artist to do an individual show, and she kind of moved into. Doing work at the V&A and with tender books and um, making a film and big ceramics collection. Again, she was again seen as the individual, and I think that's where we're sort of where we're at. Is kind of and Clifton Wright is about to kind of work on a new program as well individually, and then come together on projects where we might collaborate with a fashion designer, and it's a collection of garments by into art, and then within that, because the design sits well with the collections and with the collective. It is problematic where I think we're about to sort of next year sort of try and put together more of a curatorial network to kind of interrogate some of these things and sort of ask people about, you know, putting shows together that include lots of different people and invite those curators to kind of do that because I think we don't want the Into Art show anymore. And it used to be that because that was sort of the only thing we knew and the only, you know, we'd just finished art school and it was kind of what we were doing. But I think now it is much more about the individuals standing up on their own and then they just happen to be part of this collective and come to the studio to meet them. And when we have studio visits now where it might be tailored to a particular artist and so it's about that much more natural encounter with an individual or a couple of artists. So I think you're right, it is that cusp of... Because otherwise it does become problematic, but at the same time you do want to... The artists can communicate themselves that they're part of a bigger thing and that, oh, yeah, the other person that occupies the studio does this. Does it. I mean, they'll they'll advocate for the other people yeah, that course. they work and with. And if you get somebody who begins to make noise in the broader yeah. kind of context of the art yeah. world and so somebody comes to visit their studio and then the context of the studio is explained and then you have a, yeah. well, why don't you look at this person? That's how it works, isn't yeah. it? So yeah, that's, yeah. The, you know, I think there's there's real value in them being included in the art world as individuals, mm-hmm. even though yeah. there's also that yeah. sense of, of so. the importance of this collective that they're a part of. Because, like, you know, when are we going to see a big solo show of an artist who happens to have a learning disability? Or when are they going to, you know, is somebody going to win the Turner Prize? You know, already we see the discussion about diversity this year. And, um, and it's not that maybe the artist that is a measure of success necessarily, but it's an interesting question to pose about how do we get there? And I think there's a lot to be done. I think you're absolutely right. And I think what's interesting about this year's winner, for example, of the Turner Prize, is worryingly how much emphasis is placed on older, female, black. Yeah. Surely the point is that we get to a point where 
that isn't what's important. What's important is her work. Yeah. And that diversity is, you know, I mean, of course, if you're talking about one major prize and you're talking about it once a year, it's going to take a long time. But those barriers only get broken down when it stops being mm. the conversation. Mm. And the conversation mm. is about the artwork, mm. not, oh, this year it's great because this person mm. is this or this mm. person is that. It's just artwork and it's, mm. it is diverse. And I think we are, maybe we've touched on things in this that are, there's some negatives here, but actually mostly I think it's positive mm. that that is what's beginning to happen is mm. that those breaking out mm. of barriers. And I think it's, you know, true diversity becomes invisible. That's yeah. the point. And yeah. I think what's really interesting about the artists that you work with, what's really interesting about the the, the project that you've been doing now for, for, you know, a significant period of time is that you're working with people who just happen to be interesting artists. And in yeah. the end, that's that's what's important. Yeah. That was Ella Ritchie of Into Art and Henry Ward of the Freelance Foundation. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNNCO project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Antonia Fernandez and George McDonough, and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com on Twitter or Instagram at the handle at WhiteCityPlace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.